You're listening to the really useful podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. We're here with your weekly dose of tech news that matters, tricks and tips and recommendations. My name is Christian Corley and with me is Gavin Phillips. How are you doing, Gavin? Very well, Christian. Yeah, I've had a jolly good weekend. The sun's been blazing the whole time, uh, which makes it a jolly good time to be alive. How about yourself? I'm pretty much the same, I think it's probably fair to say. And uh, just on the matter of the um, sun, I'm sat in a very nice, insulated, dedicated office space slash studio. And because of the unseasonable heat... And I say unseasonable because I live in the northeast of England. It doesn't usually get this hot. Um, I've, the window's open, so and I think Gavin's got some background noise as well for the same sort of reason. So you may you may hear environmental noises in this show. Uh, can't be helped. It's too hot, basically. Absolutely. Intermittent seagull warnings. Yes. <laughs> okay, so um, as stated in the intro, we've got some interesting tech news. It's the interesting stuff that matters to you related to things that you use or you may buy. And then we've got some tips and tricks to help you make the best use of the technology that you own. We'll move on to the end of the show with some recommendations. So let's kick off Samsung Galaxy Watch 5. The details of it have been leaked, and it turns out that one of the best features has been omitted. The rotating bezel, which proved such a popular and innovative feature on their previous flagship watches, has been dropped, uh, which um, has been discovered by uh, Ivan Blas at 91 Mobiles, uh, who's found these uh, 3D renders of the watches, and the renders don't have the rotation. Uh, I mean... Right, first off, do you use a smartwatch? Because I have had a smartwatch, and I've just found it a bit kind of cumbersome and a little bit annoying to have to remember to put a watch on after years and years of no, you know, because there's that period when no one wore a watch, wasn't there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, yes, I have I have had a, a smartwatch. I had a Fossil watch, um, one of the more recent generations. But I found the battery life on it just too poor to be worth using outside of specific uses because it came with you know uh, integrated sport tracking oh. features and all that sort of stuff so instead of using it as my day-to-day watch i would stick it on if i was going to go and play football or a run or whatever yeah uh, and use it to track my stats but yeah outside of that it would last i don't know maybe 24 hours 48 hours tops and when you already have quite a lot of other devices in your life (laughs) laptops tablets phones cameras so on and so forth it just felt like an unnecessary addition when i have a perfectly good watch (laughs) yeah yeah, it works and works for years at a time (laughs) yeah exactly without having to be recharged yeah yeah yeah, you know (laughs) so the watch 5 will lose one of its best and iconic features the rotating bezel uh it's a unique and intuitive way of navigating the interface and it's going to be replaced by a digital bezel, which is seen on cheaper models. Um, now, whether or not that's going to be a deal-breaker for you or not, it, unless you're a proper Samsung fanboy or fangirl, it's probably not going to be a big deal. But it is strange how that popular feature has been dropped, isn't it? Yeah, it's always interesting when 
you know, it is an like a is a very popular feature. It's an iconic part of the Galaxy Watch, and Samsung must know this. So why they would remove something that sets it apart effectively from most of the other smartwatch type devices on the market? You know, you've got your Apple Watch, which uh, has obviously all the Apple integration and is and is square. Um, and that kind of sets that apart, doesn't it? But everything else you see is much of a muchness. You know, it's a circular digital dial and it's on your wrist. Um, so, yeah, removing something that makes it, I don't know, yeah, a unique buying feature doesn't, yeah. doesn't really make sense. The only thing I can think of is a supply chain thing, given the state of, uh, you know, supply and delivery of uh, electronic hardware at this stage. Maybe they've decided to cut a something that could have took longer to release it or but it beyond that it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense we'll move on to the news that uh, google's patched chrome to tackle a dangerous zero day exploit uh is this the fourth chrome patch of 2022 and it is available within weeks to all chrome users around the world it is uh, cve 2022-2294 name of the vulnerability uh, which is being exploited although google has yet to release much information concerning how to detect it uh, it's been exploited already by malicious groups and was discovered when jan Wojtasek from avast reported for on july the first um, and it's related to chrome's web real-time communication component which gives the browser its real-time communications capabilities and it can turn out to be a bit of a problem if it is exploited i'm pleased that chrome is very fast to act on these things oh yeah absolutely uh i think it's much of a muchness though uh kind of across the board for browsers especially now as so many of the most popular browsers actually use uh, chromium the open source project behind google chrome so microsoft edge uh, opera and like a, a heap of other browsers all use the same sort of base code so as soon as google rolls out something uh that fixes a major vulnerability like this uh, invariably those other browsers can jump on it and do the exact same thing which is only a positive thing for consumers Why should I use NVIDIA GeForce rather than Xbox Game Pass or any other cloud gaming service or even, as if I would, Google Stadia? <laughs> Come back from the dark side, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are five good reasons <laughs> why you should use the uh, NVIDIA GeForce Now. Um, uh, if you're not sure what NVIDIA GeForce Now is, it is, as Christian has alluded to there, it's uh, NVIDIA's cloud game streaming service, which means you can stream any game that you own from one computer to another, effectively. So say on one computer, or you have your Steam library, uh, and it has, I don't know, Dirt Rally 2 or whatever, uh, and you want to play it on your computer downstairs, you can just hop over onto the other computer, load up GeForce Now, and stream the game direct to your other computer. Uh, other services do this, um, Xbox Game Pass and uh, um, 
Oh, Google Stadia, as uh, Christian said there. Uh, but uh, I think GeForce Now is kind of edging above or at least competing directly with Microsoft Game Pass um, for a number of reasons. Uh, number one is that there are multiple subscription tiers. Uh, GeForce Now has three tiers. There is a free tier, uh, which has a restriction of a one hour maximum gameplay at a time. Uh, you can upgrade to the priority tier, which costs uh, $8.99 per month and uh, extends that playtime to six hours but also you get the um you you'll play on an rtx capable card with ray tracing uh which means your gameplay will be uh look a bit better a bit shinier and it will be at 60 frames per second so should be jolly smooth uh the final tier the rtx 3080 tier costs 20 dollars per month which is definitely a pretty hefty outlay mm. but you are guaranteed to use uh, an nvidia rtx 3080 gpu which is like their top of the range gpu at the moment and that means you'll be able to game in 1440p at 120 frames per second which is jolly good obviously 20 bucks per month is a significant outlay so if you're going to make it your primary source of gaming it's probably worth it but otherwise you'll probably do absolutely fine with the priority tier and therein if you're just using it on very occasionally the free tier will work absolutely fine now the second point is because it is a cloud gaming service you can play your favorite games wherever you are so geforce now is available on mac os windows chrome os nvidia shield android iOS, Android TV, and LG TV. Wow. And this is one thing I really like, which I didn't realise until I wrote this article, is that you can actually get GeForce Now running on a Raspberry Pi 4, which is really, really cool. So you can take these tiny, tiny little computers uh, and you could play, you know, your favourite games in 4K resolution on a Raspberry Pi 4, which is bonkers. Um, and within that as well, following on from that, it requires minimal system requirements you don't need a massive beefy computer to use geforce now which is what makes it such a cool tool the only thing you do need however is a decent internet connection because it's all over the cloud it all uses the internet so geforce now requires at least a 15 megabit per second connection for a 720p stream or 25 megabits per second for a 1080p stream uh, that increases fairly significantly to 40 megabits per second for a 4K stream. Uh, but if you're going to do that, obviously you'll need the, uh, the the RTX 3080 tier. So for most people, something between 15 and 25 megabits per second will get you a very, very decent game connection. Uh, and following on from that, there is just support for thousands of games across all the big game services, Steam. Epic, Uplay, Origin, good old games, um, and you can play it on almost any platform. So for all of those reasons, uh, I think GeForce Now is just really worth checking out. Definitely. That is, um, that, I mean, there are features there that I didn't realize before talking to you today about this, and uh, I will be very tempted to try it out. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is good. I used it for a while um, when I think one of my computers was sort of semi broken. Right. I was like, oh, I can't use my gaming computer, but I can stream <laughs> to my laptop 
which my laptop isn't good enough to run a game normally, but using GeForce Now, I could play things like Dirt Rally 2, whereas it wouldn't have been possible normally. So in those sorts of um, instances, it's, it could work as a really good backup tool as well. Yeah, yeah. That's, that is very interesting. Speaking of uh, gaming and streaming and, and, and Steam particularly, I'm still waiting for my email. <laughs> You're hit, hitting refresh every few minutes. Well, every Monday and Thursday, yes. It is a case of <laughs> checking that email inbox, uh, at least hourly. Yeah, oh gosh. Um, yes, I mean, uh, Christian here is referring to uh, his invitation for the for the Steam Deck, which he's been waiting for for, for a very long a year? time now. A year? Yeah, oh my <laughs> God. Um, I have since had mine and passed it on to one of our colleagues, uh, James Bruce, who has done a fantastic review of it yes. on MakeUseOf.com. Uh, so go and check that out if you want to know a bit more about the Steam Deck. It's Steam's handheld gaming console. It looks really, really cool. So yeah, give that a look uh, if you want to know more. Yeah, absolutely. And the link to that and everything else that we discuss in the podcast, you will find in the show notes. Windows 10 has a feature called Windows Experience Score. And it's very useful because it can help you uh, determine if there are any uh, bottlenecks, performance issues, where they are originating from on your computer. Now, uh, Gavin's going to talk us through this briefly in a moment, but I want to know something. Is it the same for Windows 11? It is roughly the same for Windows 11. Yeah, you can use the same commands um, on Windows 11 in the Windows PowerShell, or it's called Windows Terminal now, I believe, on Windows 11. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and if you run the command, which uh, we'll explain to you in a moment, it will give you the same information that you find in the Windows experience index and those things are things like your cpu score your disk score graphics rating the rating of your memory how long it takes for the computer to compile this information and so on and so forth i didn't uh, know that they'd removed it in windows 10 i hadn't even noticed that they'd removed it in windows 10 no for sure because it used to be in windows well xp 7 and i think 8 there was actually just an executable, wasn't there? You would open it and it showed you your score. Or was it yeah. in like computer information or something like that? Um, it was easy enough to find though, wasn't it? Oh yeah, 100%. It was just a button you clicked and it told you. And now you will have to, um, you can run a command in the uh, in the command prompt. Um, the I won't just read out the command because it probably won't make any sense. Um, <laughs> but you can find the information for it, uh, and it gives you the same, the exact same information as you will have found um, in the experience score on uh, previous Windows operating systems. Uh, so there is the command prompt option. There's also the Windows PowerShell option, and the command is very similar to the command prompt. Uh, in Windows 11, as I just said, uh, you can use the Windows PowerShell, maybe called the Windows Terminal now. Um, I've got my Windows 11 laptop next to me, but it's closed, so I can't look that up on the fly. Uh, you can also use the Performance Monitor and System Diagnostic Tool, which is a tool integrated into Windows. Uh, it's on every single version of Windows. There's no restrictions between Home or Pro or whatever, things like that. 
Uh, and it, you have to dig through quite a few menus to find that one, though. It's like a cascading tree that you feel like it may never end, but you will find your, your score <laughs> at the very, very bottom of the pile. Um, and then there's a third-party option, which is the Win Aero WEI tool, which is a third-party tool. You download it, install it, and it will bring up a window, which is actually quite similar to what we had uh, back on the older versions of Windows. Um, as Christian alluded to there a minute ago, there are limitations with the experience index. Uh, it typically takes the lowest value from all of the hardware components that it looks at and says, this is your score. So you could have a CPU that's 10 out of 10 and a GPU that's 10 out of 10. But if you've got a slow hard drive somewhere in your system, it will say, that's your score and that's it. So in that, uh, you can use it to see maybe where there's bits of your computer that need uh, improvement. So if you did get a poor score for your uh, hard drive speed, uh, maybe you should consider investing in a SSD if you're using a, an older hard drive or maybe even just a faster uh, PCIe 4 or PCIe 5 Gen SSD, which would be much, much faster. I remember using this as um, a way to sort of work out where my computer wasn't performing in advance of uh, buying a new kit, like you say, but mainly for gaming rather than anything else. Yeah, for sure. If you look at it and it shows you that your graphics capabilities are severely lacking, then it's a good sign that you should upgrade your, your graphics card. And as prices are slowly returning to normal for graphics cards, uh, it's actually not a bad time to consider picking one up at long last. Well, that brings us neatly, I suppose, to the topic of cryptocurrency and specifically Coinbase, which is an online platform that you can use for buying cryptocurrencies as well as uh, selling them, swapping them or even staking them. Those details are... Uh, Another matter entirely, but Coinbase has uh, become quite popular. It was um, listed on as a public company uh, 12 months ago or so in uh, 2021, um, following recent movements in the crypto industry. Uh, <laughs> its value has dropped considerably. Um, now, there is Coinbase and there is Coinbase Pro. Now, I've used Coinbase and I've seen mention of Coinbase Pro on the website and in emails and in the app itself. I've never really used Coinbase Pro. Um, before we get into this, do you use Coinbase or do you use a different system, platform? Um, typically, if I'm going to buy new Bitcoin, I would often use local Bitcoins, which is uh, like a peer-to-peer -peer selling platform where you communicate directly with an individual seller and you, you know, you browse through the list of prices obviously you're looking for the cheapest price but you can also sort by the type of payment they take so most of the time you're doing like an online bank transfer but you may want to use a skrill account or payoneer or some of them accept paypal and, and all this sort of stuff so uh, that is typically what I would use. But right. I've, I have used Coinbase extensively in the past, especially when I first started getting into cryptocurrency, because uh, for all it's good and bad, it has become, and I think still remains, like the primary on-ramp into crypto for a lot of people, because it is spectacularly easy to use. 
It is very easy to use, although it does tend to be slightly frustrating at times, certainly with the mobile app. Um, mm. Now, Coinbase basically it gives you the basics and everything that you need, but Coinbase Pro, that's a different matter entirely, isn't it? Because it's more complex. It's, it, I mean, it almost looks like a pro share trading tool, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. So you open it up, you have way more uh, options available to you. Uh, I do think the the, the trading GUI, as, as it were, um, it doesn't overcomplicate things, but it can seem complicated to begin with, if you see what I mean. Yeah. There's a lot of lines and, and red and green numbers and different boxes and like loads of different options of how to buy and sell things. But uh, it takes probably not that long to actually get to grips with what's, what's going on. Um, but within that, it is more advanced in terms of the trading features it offers. So with your regular Coinbase account uh, and, and the app, you would log into it. You say, I want to buy £250 or dollars worth or whatever of, of Bitcoin or one of the other coins it supports. And you buy it and it goes into your account. And that's it. It's like A to B, jobs are good. And with Coinbase Pro, you can set things like stop limit orders, which is where you say, I want to buy X amount of this coin when it reaches this specific price or ah. on the flip side i want to sell x amount of my coin when it reaches this price so it gives you more advanced and more technical ways of selling and buying bitcoin uh, and within that it probably is slightly slanted towards uh traders rather than one-time buyers that's there for you if you think that uh, maybe the basic coinbase isn't quite doing it for you you can then upgrade to coinbase pro you get all these new features but obviously you're going to be paying uh a monthly subscription for it i think it is no 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 coinbase, coinbase pro uh despite it being more advanced and having more technical capabilities is also completely free, completely free. uh you just have to create a separate account for it uh and then log into it and then you have access to all this sort of stuff. Um, it's only the same as sort of all of the other crypto exchanges use this style of purchasing more than Coinbase's uh, regular Coinbase. That is, is uh, you know, A to B purchasing. You you put your money in and you get your crypto out. Most other crypto exchanges use this style, which is called an order book style. Um, to run their exchanges and that's if you go to another cryptocurrency exchange kraken binance etc you will see this type of screen rather than the more basic interface of regular coinbase ah Well, that brings us nicely to the final feature of this week's really useful podcast, which is recommendations. Uh, this is the part of the show where myself and my co-host give you an idea of something you might like to experience based on something that we've experienced and enjoyed. It could be from the world of technology, could be from real life, uh, but a little bit geeky, or it could be something else entirely. Uh, Gavin, who's going first this week? Uh, do you want to go first? Because I don't know quite what I'm going to say. <laughs> I'll go first then. And um, <laughs> now, you may have noticed, if you're a regular listener, that sometimes Gavin and Ben join me, but we don't actually interact as a threesome. The reason for this is that we always over record. 
So a recording session will always have a section that is left aside. That section that is left aside is then compiled into a brand new podcast later on when something's happening. For instance, I might go away for the weekend and then the, the recording day is difficult to arrange or there's a lot of work to catch up with on the Monday when I get back or whatever. This is what happened with the last podcast. The reason for that is that I went to Legoland Windsor Resort. Hey, that is exciting. <laughs> Not only did I go to Legoland Windsor Resort, we stayed at the Lego Castle Hotel. Oh no! On the on the resort side. On That's the so resort cool. itself, yeah. Now um, I'm not entirely sure. I know there's Lego lands around the world. Um, obviously, the Windsor Resort is the one in the UK that we're all here in the UK that we're more likely to go to. Although, as a child, I desperately wanted my parents to, to, to take a holiday in Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> because that's where the only Legoland was in those days. Um, anyway, so the thing is, there's different ways you can do this. You can do it by booking a uh, couple of nights in a hotel in the vicinity. It'll set you back around £350 for a family of four or five, and you'll get entrance to the park. That's quite good. But there's a lot of queuing involved, not just when you get into the park, but actually outside the park hell of a lot of queuing and on hot summer days it's really not ideal because you could be queuing for like an hour it's not good yeah it's awful frankly and now we did this a couple of times in 2016 when my wife was pregnant with our youngest and in 2017 when our youngest was uh in a pram so we thought if we're going to do it again we're going to stay there and over the past few years we've been saving up for this and obviously there's been plenty of occasions when uh we could have gone, but we didn't. And then there's been those occasions where we absolutely couldn't go, which were great for saving up. So finally, we booked it and we went. And I, I mean, it is a theme park. It is Lego themed theme park. So there's a lot of Lego. I mean, it's basically Lego. It looks a lot of it looks like it's made from Lego. The hotel is <laughs> appears to be made from Lego. Obviously, <laughs> it's not. Um, the, the children get uh, a free gift when they get. They have to do a little treasure hunt around the room, and then there's a safe that they can unlock, and then they get a, a, a small Lego toy to come uh, put together there's a ps4 in the room for the children to play obviously lego games on lego, lego video games although not the most recent ones sadly but the main thing i wanted to talk about was the ride of the skyline which is this uh, awesome immersive 3d uh big screen moving chair experience which is um augmented by um splashes of water and heat and cold air and things like that and made me feel really 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 ill but everyone enjoyed it and you know even though i was feeling ill when i got off uh the the experience was uh it was remarkable how it all just uh, fit together so nicely but uh yeah so my recommendation would be uh get to a lego land near you and try the ride of the skyline or similar that sounds awesome i don't think that was... The, I think the last time I maybe went was my, uh, a very young teenager or maybe even slightly before that. And I remember it being just the most incredible experience back then before they had such awesome immersive experiences as that. Um, did they still have... Sorry, this is getting way niche. Um, <laughs> there's like a pretend driving school there, isn't there? Do they still have that? Yes, they still have that, yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, I would agree with Christian's recommendation. If there's one near you, go to it because it's so much fun. Even for adults, like even for adults. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we went on a log flume. 
Uh, now, here's an interesting thing. We went on a log flume, which they, they have there. Now, the first time we went in 2017, we went on log flume. I lost my hat. <laughs> and it's it's still brought up because we had a photo taken as you come down the log flume. You can get photos taken on all the rides, as you can with most places these days. And I had my hat on. And literally a split second later, the hat went and it was never seen again. Now, curiously, uh, this time I went on the log flume with my youngest daughter, who's now five, and we went on it together and then the, uh, my wife and the other two went on together. My youngest daughter lost her hat on the log flume. No, no way. Yeah. <laughs> Chances of that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but as, as I say, it's great fun. So do, do get along there. So, Gavin, what's your recommendation? Well, I don't think I want to say now. Yours is way more exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am going to tell you about the Keychron Q5 custom mechanical keyboard, uh, which is definitely quite a diversion from Legoland, but it is a fantastic bit of kit. Uh, Not too dissimilar from Lego in many ways because it's fully customizable. So you can remove not only all the keys as you can with all mechanical keyboards, but you can actually take the mechanical switches out of the keyboard and replace those as well. Oh, wow. Uh, And that means if you prefer a more linear feel, so you want the keys to go up and down smoothly, uh, you can swap them out. Uh, or if one day you think, oh, I actually prefer something with a bit more resistance and I want to hear my keys clacking like a typewriter, you can switch the switches out for that as well. Um, furthermore, the keyboard itself actually comes with four completely programmable layers um, and there's like onboard memory on the um, keyboard itself to allow you to do this and you use a desktop software and you can program all the keys to do different things. There's, I think, 20 or 25 different macro settings you can use to create completely customized um, entries and all this sort of stuff. Um, it's not the cheapest bit of kit, I've got to say. The The fully assembled board comes in at $185. However, you can buy a bare bones kit for $165 and then you can add your own switches and your own keycaps to the keyboard and create a really just completely custom look on this board. Oh, and the other thing I would say is it it's heavy. It weighs nearly two kilos which Whoa. in terms of keyboards is like, that is a hefty, hefty it's keyboard. It's a killer keyboard. It really is, like, it's ginormous. When it was delivered to me, I was like, I thought they'd sent something different, <laughs> wrong. <laughs> laptop. It, yeah, yeah, well, hopefully it was bars of gold or something like that. But no, <laughs> turns out it was just a really heavy keyboard. But that's like, the build quality of it is exceptional, uh, and it's definitely one of the best keyboards I have ever had the pleasure of using. So, yes, the Keychron... Q5 QMK custom mechanical keyboard. Do you want to give us a sample of how it sounds? Uh, hold on, let me just move my thing onto the thing. I'm using linear switches at the moment, so they're not very loud, but this is... Uh... There you go. That was yeah. Hello, Christian. <laughs> oh, thank you very, very much. Hello, hello, Gavin. And <laughs> goodbye to you, the listener. We will be back with another really useful podcast next week. Until then, it's goodbye from us. Goodbye from us.